0: Welcome to the podcast, Think Biblically, conversations on faith and culture. I'm your host, Sean McDowell, professor of apologetics at Talbot School of Theology, Biola University.
1: And I'm your co-host, Scott Ray, the dean of the faculty, professor of Christian ethics, also at Talbot School of Theology here at Biola University.
0: Before we dive in today's conversation, we wanna just remind you that the Think Biblically podcast is made possible with the support of Talbot School of Theology we would love to have you consider joining us to be trained how to study scripture, experience spiritual transformation, and bring God's truth to a world in need. Now, today's guest is from Biola University. When we get a chance, we really like to highlight our faculty, just the people they are, and the excellent work that they are doing. Jason Wilson is the chair of mathematics and computer science. Now, I know right away you're thinking, instantly in the back of your mind, if you're listening, is math. Is that what we're going to talk about on the podcast today? Now, Jason, I'm probably giving you a hard time because my wife is a high school math teacher, so she majored in math in college, and the moment she tells someone she teaches math, there's like this obligation for somebody to tell her how far that they made it in math and that they try to find it interesting but didn't really enjoy math class. For some reason, they have to tell her that. Why do you love math? Where does that come from in your life and experience?
2: Wow, Sean, Um, there's a lot of things that I could say with that. But uh, recently, the number one thing that I would just say is that in math, I see how the world is so profoundly ordered Mm. and structured. And the mathematics that we do and we use that touches so much of our technology today is really a pointer to something beyond. What is its origin? Where does it come from? And that points us right to God. And so, just more and more I see that that greater sense of of what it's it's coming from. And it helps me to worship him uh, actually somewhat directly.
0: well, that's amazing. You don't often hear people talk about how math leads them into worshiping God. That's awesome that that's your experience. We want to get into some of that. But I noticed in your in your bio, you talk about how you are into baseball statistics. So have you seen the movie Moneyball, where they really start talking about how applying statistics and analytics to the game of baseball and how it's really transformed? We see it in basketball, see it in football. What a, How helpful really are statistics in baseball success?
2: So, yeah, I have seen Moneyball, and uh, it, it did have a big effect on on the baseball world, and actually, I've, I've come to experience some of that effect through my research. Uh, when you think about statistics, I would categorize two different aspects of statistics. One, if you just pop up a app and look at the, the latest stats on you know how the pitchers are doing, what their their win loss records are, and for the teams and so on, those kind of stats have been with us a long time and are used in other sports. There's a newer thing called uh, called uh, sabermetrics. Um, which is a deeper dive into the more technical information, which would be things like the trajectory of the pitches, the exit velocity of the ball off of the bat, and this kinds of information. Now, baseball is the sport that's been leading the way in that kind of study, and I've done some of that with my own quality of pitch research And so baseball, it turns out, is uniquely uh, positioned for that kind of analysis because it has this discretized nature. Everything starts with a pitch, then it goes to the batter, and then the batter hits, and then you have gameplay, and then it stops, and then it repeats. Because of that structure, there's a certain amenability. Uh, There's attempts made to apply it into basketball and football and other things, but it's a lot more dynamic, at least I guess say like with basketball, where you just have this free-flowing Action: the players moving around. Um, football, uh, you do have a bit of a restart, but it's not quite as as fixed. Um, but uh, but that's where the analytics is going these days.
1: Yeah, I was hoping that analytics could have helped my jump shot. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to take a lot more <laughs> than analytics. <God>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a long time ago. Hey, I was actually looking forward to talking about differential equations and advanced calculus and there you go, things like that. I was hoping we get into that. But Jason. Which came first, your interest in math or your commitment to Christ as a believer?
2: Yeah, that's a good, good question. Uh, I actually attended Biola as an undergrad. came here in 1992. And uh, coming uh, at the end of my high school time, uh, I had a rocky upbringing, and I was really torn between, hmm, I hear this Christian story in church. But I understand that, that they know how the world was created and kind of got it figured out uh, from my, my high school classes, uh, secular humanist public high school upbringing. And I'd really like to sort that out in college. And so I came with questions in mind. Uh, so I I had some nominal faith, uh, got into Biola, and came in as a math major, uh, felt led to teach. Uh, like, And... Once I got to Biola, the Lord answered my, uh, my questions about faith, not in a, in a dramatic way, but just the totality of the experience with the real authentic community. At the same time, I was exposed through professors at Biola having an integrative approach to seeing how the infinity that we talk about in math points to God, and, and there's some profound stuff there. The beauty in math, and beauty like I had never seen or thought of before. I just thought math was pretty cool, um, and I kind of attracted to it just intellectually. And so, so there was really a bit of a convergence, I think, of those two things in my story. So would it, would it be fair
1: to say that studying math had a
2: pretty significant influence on, on your own spiritual journey? I think that it wasn't heavily conscious— and I I wrestled with do I want to study math or do I want to study Bible and become a Bible major, and I weighed the two out and I almost chucked the math major actually, and I wound up getting a double degree. Uh, but there was a little bit of resentment about math because it pulled me from studying the Word at that time. Interesting.
1: Yeah, it's quite. I mean, quite a dichotomy. That yeah.
2: Is, you know, we, we, of course, we would argue
1: is an, an unnecessary one. Indeed. Uh, now, most people think of math as this totally objective, you know, it just sort of is what it is. How do you do Christian faith and mathematics integration? Would you say there's a distinctly Christian approach to mathematics? Uh, so, I mean, I think the idea for a lot of people that, that you would integrate faith with mathematics, and you think, well, how, how would you do that? How have you done that?
0: Yeah,
2: so as far as the integration part, it depends on which context I'm in. If I'm in a secular context, for example, I've taught in SAT prep contexts, mm-hmm. so high school students, and I would write on the board a question, do you believe in numbers? So they walk into the room and they're just thinking about that question. <laughs> and then I'll ask them, and invariably, most of the students say, well, yeah, yeah, we believe in numbers, like that's what we're doing, Right. Well, as soon as you believe in numbers, then you're believing in this abstract thing that has no material uh, substance, Wow! and you're already uh, pretty much believing in in an absolute truth. Um, And so there's there's paths that you can just go right there. If it's something with a service class, where this is a group of students that are here, maybe intro to problem stats or biostatistics or something, then what I like to do with them is give passages. And like I'll throw out Romans 120. It's a common theme verse for my classes. Uh, It says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Okay. Invisible nature, eternal power. Okay. These again are things that we don't see, but yet they're there. And those are manifested not only in the physical world through the sciences, but in this abstract world of, of the math, that we're doing math, and it works. And that, again, points to this God that has this, this invisible nature. Uh, so if I go to a, um, a course for my math majors, I like to give them some readings. And so we'll give them some essays, and so we can start to go deeper into uh, some different topics. And then we'll have some class discussions.
0: You mentioned at the beginning that understanding math drives you to worship God. Now, could you unpack this a little bit for me? Now, on one sense, is it like while you're worshiping, you're thinking of the quadratic equation or math, or is it that you understand the structure in the world and it drives you to realize how big and grand and infinite God is? What is it about math that connects to worship for you?
2: Yeah, so I'd like to bring that back to the Romans one twenty again, in that God is omnipresent, right? He's always there. And he's always there, I think, in multiple senses. And so thinking about math helps me have another sense in which he's there. It's like there's this these divine fingerprints on the world. And so even just looking around the room with the technologies here, I'm thinking about the natural law that that's there in order for all these things to be working out with the microphones and the sound waves and, and all this kind of stuff. And if I think about maybe some more abstract mathematics, you mentioned the, the quadratic equation or any mathematical model that we might put together, uh, a spreadsheet that, that a person might be using at work and, and calculating numbers off of that. Uh, that has a profound order. And when you do that... Uh, you're gonna get a certain result and that result teaches you something about the world and God made the world that way. It could have been a different way, but it's not. And so that again points to a designer in, in my mind. And so, so I just, I keep seeing that, that the design
0: lurking in the background. That's awesome. Now, I think, I think you've maybe shared some of these already, but are there any other kind of aha moments in your whole journey of studying math? where you're just studying a certain, again, an equation or something within the math world, you stopped and just had that moment of like, oh my goodness, that the existence of an infinite points towards God who's infinite or, or order points towards there being a God who's orderly. Are there any other kind of aha moments in math that just caught you that either want to make you worship or pause and just reflect upon, wow, this world is unbelievable.
2: In the, that undergrad period that I was talking to you about, uh, I had an aspiration to have an experience like Kepler or Newton or these, um, these scientific revolution era scientists that were, they were doing their work out of a motivation to bring glory to God and discover more about God. And though I aspired for it, I don't feel like I really attained to that level of experience. At a later time, uh, I came to teach at biola in 2008, and was thinking about these kinds of things. And uh, there was a time when I was sitting on my uh, my in-laws' sofa, and I was uh, I was pondering uh, the bell curve. Okay, and uh, very very famous. Uh, mathematical model used in statistics. And I just had this experience where for that particular thing, I was contemplating just how beautiful it was and why is it beautiful? Why do many st- statisticians consider it beautiful? And I, I just saw this realization between the x-axis on the curve. If you can just imagine the, the bottom of that curve, it literally goes off infinitely, both uh, to the left and to the right, Yeah. okay? But the area under that curve, it's one, okay? That's kind of a weird thing, that you have an area that's finite, it's area of one, yet the object itself, it has an infinite length. So there's a certain profundity there, and there's a paradox actually contained in, in just that, this, this infinite finite coming together. And that caused me to just think about this whole path of, of these analogies in mathematics to spiritual things. Um, and so that, there was kind of a pivotal thought point there.
1: Jason, let me take this a little different direction. You made reference a couple minutes ago when we first started talking about the connection between beauty and mathematics. Yeah. Could you— unpack that a little bit more for us? Because I I think probably for most of our listeners, that connection probably isn't particularly obvious. Mm. Uh, So what's that about?
2: Yeah, so interesting. If you were to read in a lot of mathematical literature, you will find mathematicians using language like, like, this is beautiful, and that proof is elegant, and this equation is uh, it captures this this great uh, balance between simplicity and complexity, and uh, this this proof is is, is very uh, very concise and elegant. You, you'll just find that kind of language used used all over the place, and you can have an equation that maybe is really ugly. You can perform certain simplifications, and then it becomes simpler. Uh, up to the point where it's very elegant. And when you look at its parts, each of those represents a particular thing. And we all have this sense that uh, you, you kind of get things into th- these beautiful forms. And so we're just accustomed to, to working with that, thinking of that all the time. In fact, mathematicians will write that, that the beauty of some of these different properties of beauty sometimes guides the research like that just seemed like a, like a kind of a, a nasty path to go down. So I chose this simpler, more elegant one, and then the result came. Wow. You'll also hear that language used in, 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 in scientific theories as they're trying to form them. But of course, they wind up getting formed in the language of mathematics.
0: Do you have any thoughts on why that is? It's just because God is good and he's true and beautiful and wants us to look for beauty in the world. Why do you think there's this connection between beauty and between a mathematical objective truth.
2: Yeah. So for me, the, the reason that I think it is, is because the, the, the mathematics, it, it, it's originating in, in God's nature. Mm-hmm. And so he is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's stemming back to the one who is beauty. I mean, that, that's really
1: helpful, especially yeah. the, the historical background to know how, for one, how many of the, you know, the earlier mathematicians were actually believers, but who caught that connection between the beauty that's intrinsic to who God is and mathematics for being intrinsic to how he's made the world. Um, would you say that that same thing would be true in relationship to goodness? Could you Could you make that argument, too, that there's something about the way math works, that reveals or exposes part of, part of the goodness of the world?
2: I think so. Uh, I don't know if I would put it in just the directly related category, but one thing, in the last time I taught a class, uh, it's a biblical integration seminar called God and Math, uh, and we were getting into beauty, it really emerged that there's it, not only beauty, but there's other things in the world that point to God. And, and the, the existence of goodness itself, I think, uh, is probably one of those things. If you if you adopt a different worldview, let's say just kind of a naturalist materialist worldview that all there is is uh, is matter and particles, then goodness doesn't have a good explanation. Yet we all ha- you know have this sense that there is a thing called good and there is a thing called evil. Uh, but to explain that, it makes perfect sense if there's a design where there's a good designer and then you have good design, and then when that design is somehow marred or flawed, then it's it's bad or evil, and that, that becomes clear. So mathematics in the same way, uh, there's a certain goodness about these kinds of properties of it or its inherent nature that I was talking about. Now, with the math, we develop things. Let's say a particular mathematical model that's used to... Uh, develop uh, this particular microphone, okay? That's good. Uh, Someone could also use mathematics and maybe develop uh, something and then use it for an evil purpose. So so I think there's something about what do you use things for that
0: there would be another dimension to that discussion. You've talked a couple times about how math itself points towards the design and order in the world as a kind of natural theology that we can just reflect upon the world and see it's not chaotic, but that there's purpose and design built into the way that things are, and we can't change this. I'm curious how far this takes us towards the Christian worldview. So correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I, I would think that this would challenge a naturalistic worldview, challenge a pantheistic worldview, but not get us all the way to the Christian worldview. So, from a natural theology standpoint, how far can math take us towards the Christian faith?
2: I completely agree with you. I think that a a pretty good argument could be made for theism. Uh, to pass from theism to uh, Christianity, I, I don't. I think there, there's there's just a gulf, and I've thought about this question quite a bit. Mm. Um, there's uh, author by the name of Alvin Plantinga wrote an essay called Theism in Mathematics, and uh, he makes an interesting point. He says that there's perhaps four different kinds of world that we could conceive of. Uh, one would be sort of atomless gunk. It's pretty static. You could have mathematical descriptions. They'd be boring. Uh, number two, you could have uh, this chaotic world that, that, I mean, I'm talking full-on chaos, like... You could just imagine maybe the lights just kind of go out, uh, maybe I dematerialize, maybe sh- show up part of me across the room. I, I mean, I mean, full-on chaos. There's no order whatsoever, no mathematical description possible. Okay? Again, that's, that's, that's just weird. Uh, you could have another world where it, it appears chaotic like I just described, but there's a deep underlying order that's impenetrable to humans. Again, that's not going to be interesting to us. <laughs> or you could have a world that is dynamic, but yet there is this underlying order that can be understood, and that's the one that we live in. Now, the, a theistic worldview explains that well because there's a design. The naturalistic worldview uh, has trouble explaining why that particular one. Okay? Uh, Planning is going to point out another argument uh, that he calls accessibility. And that is, uh, why is it that humans can penetrate some of these under, this underlying order, but yet it takes sort of a full effort? There's a search required. It's kind of at the upper limit. It's taken us centuries to get where we're at. Okay? So he, he makes an accessibility argument. And then there's a, there's a third argument that we've, that we've alluded to, um, which is just the nature of the mathematics itself it's it's unseen it's abstract it's immaterial so a naturalistic materialist worldview if you go with an, an evolutionary perspective that and you use that to explain the matter that here that doesn't do a good job of explaining math because it's inherently ordered mm. see so how do you get math on an evolutionary view
0: couldn't you argue that you need some math for there to be an evolutionary process in the first place, right? Because there's structure. Evolution yeah.
2: would be a, a – macroevolution anyway would be a natural law, okay? Where do laws come from? Okay, Again, you need a designer hmm. and you describe them with math.
1: Jason, I suspect you've
2: come into contact
1: with others in your field uh, who see mathematics really differently uh, and they are, come from more of a naturalistic worldview. Uh, what's some of the pushback that you get from some of those conversations with skeptics uh, or naturalists uh, when you talk about math and the, this intrinsic order to the, to the world that it illustrates, things that point to God? What, what do, how do they push back with you on that?
2: Yeah, good uh good question. So I'm formerly I'm a statistician, and my PhD's in statistics and so I really am most familiar with the statistics community. And to be quite honest with you, the statistics community is is pretty Christian friendly. Really? Uh interesting. Just, yeah, I mean we we believe in absolute truth. We're trying to do good in the world by examining data and answering people's questions. It's a service-oriented discipline. And so I I've gotten little Little bits of pushback that was largely sort of on a just kind of an "I'm offended that you might say such things" type of view, but no intellectual substance. Um, the pushback that I get uh, with when I engage in those kinds of conversations, it's going to move into uh, really the, the whole kind of evolution creation debate, and uh, and you get people that that want to try to buttress. The problems with the, the mathematical arguments, why the origin of life is effectively impossible using calculations and probability, and they'll try to critique assumptions or sort of somehow attack it there. Not particularly effective uh, in my view, but, but that'd be the, a big place.
0: Why do you think the statistical community is so friendly to theism? Is it just the nature of those drawn to statistics? You think
2: there, there's probably something to that. Um, it is a really service-oriented uh, discipline, and so you you are interdisciplinary. You're trying to help people answer their data. So there's a, there's a collaborative dimension, yeah. and then also both with math and statistics, we are trafficking. At, Trafficking in absolute truth, right? I mean, that's that's what we're, that we're doing all
0: the time. And so, are, are there any mathematicians in particular that have been influential in the world, maybe Christians or not, that you've just been drawn to, maybe inspired by, motivated by, or they've just shaped your thinking? They could be alive now or it could be somebody as far back as— you know Pascal, or all the way back to the ancient Greeks. Are there any mathematicians or statisticians in particular that have just motivated you, and if so, why?
2: Mm. There's a lot that that I've I've thought upon at different times. Uh, Isaac Newton is a particular inspiration mm. to me uh, for his you know obviously his profound discoveries with physics and 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 the Principia, developing calculus. Uh, so he really is this, this pioneer. There's a profundity there. Yet he gave the last half of his life to studying theology. Uh, I might not agree with all of his theological sure. convictions, but, but he was, he was brilliant and, and just made a lot of headway and yet was willing to just tell the world, you know what, this is more important and this is how I'm going to be spending my time, even wow. in the face of the criticism that, that he took from that.
0: And he wrote a lot on that, didn't he? He did. Yeah, prophecies of Daniel, uh, yeah. That is really fascinating that some people would say one of the most brilliant scientists, mathematicians ever spent that amount of his time studying theology. Well, I, Speaking of theology, I have one last question for you. Probably eight or ten years ago when I was teaching high school full-time, the high school math teacher, who was not my wife at the time, gave a devotional on Ephesians 3, 18 through 19— And I had read this passage dozens of times, but never thought about it from a math perspective. And when you just read it, it's clear that Paul's using an analogy of math to make a point about God's love. And it says that we may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And she pointed out how, breadth and length and height and depth are these mathematical terms talking about how big and wide and just impossible to grasp God's love is. Do you have any passages that you've read as a mathematician that just have been important to you, significant to you throughout all the scriptures from the Old Testament to the New Testament?
2: You know, I, I do have some passages uh, going even one higher level of abstraction, if I may, from a passage— to, to theological concepts, I think infinity is a phenomenal source where, where mathematics brings theological insight not only to this passage but others as well. And so in mathematics, uh, it was the late 1800s that a guy named uh, George Cantor felt led by God to study infinity. And the results that he came up with were so shocking to the math community that he was spurned. For a lot of his life wow. because of that work. Today it's just it's it is the thing. Like you know, we all believe it by it, that's it's just part of the mathematical yeah. package. Theological motivation. So the one big thing that, that I think people would do well to really come to know is that there are two different orders of infinity. Okay. If you take the the counting numbers, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, off to infinity, we think of that as infinity right that's that's infinite okay yet if you take the real numbers which includes all the fractions and all the possible decimals okay even if you just look at the interval from 0 to 1 there are more numbers in that interval than you can count one two three four five six up up to infinity right okay. And so, this can be proven rigorously mathematically. And what that shows us is there are different orders of infinity.
1: Hmm.
2: And so, it's not merely unbounded or unlimited. That's, that's too, too vague of a concept. So, when it comes to God then, this passage looks at four dimensions, right? Okay, and being filled with the fullness of God. Well, there are different even senses of infinity, like fullness of God must have some form of infinity, okay? But from a mathematical perspective, you could distinguish between different orders of infinity uh, that could be be obtained. And that can be applied to the Trinity, to the two natures of Christ, and so on, to actually give insight into theological paradoxes through this mathematical
0: paradox. That's,
1: That's fascinating.
0: Oh my goodness, this is...
1: And we are way out of our depth.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I am absolutely intrigued, and I can't wait for my wife to hear this podcast, because I'm going to see her be drawn to the same kind of worship that you're talking about here. My goodness, thanks for your work in the world of statistics, just professionally, but it's clear you're putting a lot of effort in, which we value deeply at Biola, to make integration between a discipline and between the faith. And you're doing this really in an exemplary way. So thanks for doing that. And thanks so much for coming on the show, Jason.
2: Well, thank you so much, Sean and Scott. God bless you.
0: This has been an episode of the podcast, Think Biblically, conversations on faith and culture. To learn more about us and today's guest, Jason Wilson, and to find more episodes, go to biola.edu forward slash thinkbiblically. That's biola.edu forward slash thinkbiblically. If you enjoyed today's conversation, give us a rating on your podcast app and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. And remember, think biblically about everything.